0: Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassat, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, thank you for trying something new. Uh, usually, at this time, I ask Ben to plug a couple of the publications that he's recently written for. So, Ben, hit me.
1: You can find my work at Business Insider, at Inside Hook, and at
0: MotorTrend. Uh, and you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. Ben, I'm going to start this week off with a with some coverage on a brand new luxury uh, sedan. Believe it or not, sedan. You remember what those are like? I don't believe you. I I know it's hard to. I don't know how to prove it to you, but um, <laughs> well, you could you could use facts. I mean, <laughs> I will use these facts. I drove the brand new 2021. Acura TLX. And the model I drove in particular featured all-wheel drive and a turbocharged four-cylinder. And that's very important to talk about. Um, and I might as well just jump right into it. But you know you my, see, my favorite yeah. part of
1: the Acura TLX is how it uh, when they when they first brought it out, it combined three models, the uh, the Acura T, the Acura L, and the Acura X <laughs> under a single banner. That's synergy, I Sammy. You
0: so much. <laughs> I thought you were gonna make a real Fact of some kind, and that was not it. Facts it combined, are your
1: department when it, when we're talking about accurate.
0: It combined the TL and the TSX, and it made this really weird, like tweener, right? Like it made a, a Acura decided that they were going to play in this in between class, like Cadillac. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's a great way to to relate the two brands here. Um, and for you know what, there, there's a lot to like about the TLX, but there was also a lacking in terms of how special it felt at the time. I think um, spaciousness, and for a, you can get a really good bargain for it. But when it com- when you compared it to like other um, premium vehicles or or luxury vehicles, there was something that just didn't seem right about it at um, back in the in the day. But um, I think there was potential, and I think Acura is now realizing that potential for the for the product in this 2021 model year. You'll and so, never
1: you'll never find a greater enemy than your own potential, Sammy.
0: I know that as a fact. My parents keep reminding me about it. So um, I will start off with the fact that it's now got a turbocharged four cylinder. There will be a turbocharged six cylinder down the line, uh, hopefully in spring of 2021, and that's going to be very special. It's going to be called the Type S. But for now, all they offer is a turbocharged four-cylinder. Uh, it's a two-liter unit. It makes 272 horsepower and 280 pound-feet of torque. So it's very much the same as you would get in the RDX. And honestly, this is a pretty good engine. And the reason I bring it up is because the base engine in the la- in the last generation TLX was this 2.5-liter four-cylinder that made just 200 horsepower and was kind of a like honestly was kind of a dud. And so now you've got a car with, with significantly more horsepower, almost 100 pound-feet more um, torque. And in fact, this engine is closer to the, um, the optional V6 that you can get with the last generation uh, TLX, which made 290 horsepower and 267 pound-feet of torque. So this, this new thing has more torque, which is crazy.
1: Well, you know, so I wanted to kind of link back to something you just said about this engine. You said it's the same engine as the RDX. I believe so, yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, I don't think so. Anyway, we were talking about the Cadillac CT4 and how it had a turbocharged 4 cylinder engine that was taken from a pickup truck. A pickup truck, yeah. So this is a a sports sedan that has this engine taken from an SUV. So is this a similar kind of experience in terms of how the power is delivered, how high the engine revs, and kind of the personality of the engine?
0: No, I actually, I think, um, first of all, I think the... We're being generous if we're calling the RDX an SUV. I think it's best described as a crossover. I think it has a, a car-like platform, um, and, and it's not kind of as rugged as um, um, SUVs. But you know what? Some people relate the two um, definitions, and that's okay with me. But I will say that this does drive much more like, a, like a, a luxury vehicle. It doesn't have that coarseness to it. It's a very smooth powertrain. I really do like it, and I think it's one of the highlights of the RDX, and as a result of the TLX as well, um, the, it's paired to a 10-speed automatic, no matter what um, um, drivetrain you can get. And that's another thing that's worth talking about as well. Because the last generation TLX, it, while it offered all-wheel drive, uh, you could only get it with the V6 engine. So you're ending up paying, like, I don't know, 50 grand for this, uh, for this all-wheel drive version of the car, which, um, okay, fine, maybe not. You're, you're, you're ending up getting a V6 motor with all-wheel drive and now you can get um all-wheel drive in as easy as the the four cylinder now so well, yeah, that's pretty great
1: it's kind of but i think that they really have no choice at acura if if you mm-hmm. look at the market there's not is there another luxury company that is front wheel drive only
0: mm, no um was the Tia, was the is lincoln
1: still a thing lincoln is still a thing but i don't think that there are front wheel drive a, 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 from exclusively front wheel drive platforms left at Lincoln and the sedans. I I could be wrong about that because there could be some older cars hanging around the Lincoln showroom. Buick,
0: I suppose, would be the other, the Yeah, Buick
1: is an interesting example. Um, Do we consider them at the same level as Acura? Personally, for me, quality wise, I would say that they are, but um, it's... You know
0: what? I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna, and, and first of all, I just went to the Buick website and I clicked on their car section and I got a Sorry, page not found. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that, so a, aside
1: from, I, I guess, you know, those are the outliers, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, in the mainstream, everyone is elbow drive or rear-wheel drive for the right. most part. With the exception of Volvo, I think. Oh, that, that's another good point. Okay, so I, I retract my statement. So if, if Acura does want to go after kind of that niche, then that mm-hmm. niche is there. So, all right, I understand.
0: So you can get you can get the TLX um, with front wheel drive. Depending on the market here in Canada, it's all wheel drive um, or nothing. And in the US, you'll get a front wheel drive and all wheel drive, which is great. Okay. And uh, you get this ten speed automatic, which is pretty decent. Um, I I'm saying that because uh, I I kind of get uh, a little bit um, worried about ten speed automatics because sometimes they can just oops, sometimes they can just feel like they um, are like CVTs. It, they just like really stress out the engine at some times and can, can have a difficult time finding the right gear. Um, and I find that this car does not have as many hiccups or never feels sort of like hesitant to pick a gear when you call for it, which is great. Um, at the same time, I will admit that it doesn't change gears particularly quickly. And I, I'm going to say that with a caveat, because if you've driven a BMW, a BMW with that ZF 8-speed, those are great transmissions. Like yeah, and that's kind of that's amazing. a good
1: transmission in, in a number of different cars, not just BMW.
0: Absolutely. And um, I think even the nine speed transmissions that you can get in some of Mercedes products can feel really smooth as well. So I would say that this is just below that tier, um, which I think is pretty decent for an Acura. I, I, I also want to say that while I was talking about the powertrain, I realized that I really haven't talked about, you know what, probably the most important part about the new TLX and it's the styling. Um, in 2016, Acura debuted this concept. It was called the, I think, Precision concept. And then in 2019, they debuted the Type S concept. And that was kind of a, um, an evolution of that original Precision um, concept. And the TLX is essentially those concepts put into a production form. It's a very um, – I think it's a very striking design. I will admit when I got to it, when, I, when you walk up to it, there are proportions to this car <clears throat> that you don't notice or you don't pick up in, in photographs. And I think that's really – um, really cool. It shows depth in the in the design, um, and it's something that I think uh, is hard to do well. Um, the important things to note about the the new exterior design: the car is longer, wider, and lower than the outgoing model, and as a result, it looks much more sleeker than the outgoing TLX, which wasn't a, which, which wasn't particularly an ugly car, but now it just seems dated like in an instant. And I think that's really um, crazy that they can do something like that so quickly.
1: And Acura is interesting as well because uh, unlike, say, BMW or Mercedes-Benz, they don't have a large sedan lineup that you're constantly contrasting each car against. Like, you know, like a 5 Series and a 7 Series can be very difficult to tell apart. But right. if you're in an Acura showroom, you know, it's mostly SUVs, right?
0: I think there's an iElect as well. I'm not sure they haven't. They ha- I don't think they've killed that off yet. But yeah, but right. it's,
1: it's not a it's not a huge number of sedans. Like, there are a few, but right. it's not the same kind of philosophy like you have with the Germans where the cars are all very similar, just different sizes.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. It's crazy how many. Uh, I mean, I, there are so many products in some of those BMW or Mercedes lineups, and I, I wonder how they find the real estate in a showroom to, to accommodate all of that, right? And, and in comparison, I think Acura has a far more pared-down um, lineup, especially if you want to consider the NSX as a, as a product that they would sell as well. It's just the ILX, TLX, RDX, and MDX. And I guess the RLX as well, but I don't even know if that's I uh, I can't
1: remember ever seeing an RLX in real life. Like outside yeah. of a showroom or a media event. They, they uh, are I, that
0: uncommon. Absolutely. You'd see more NSXs than RLX. Yeah, I definitely sure. have. <laughs> <laughs> um so as as really well crafted as the exterior is, um the interior is where your Acura struggles a tiny bit. And that's mainly because the centers the center um, the center stack and the, cluster, uh, and the cluster are really not up to what I think are the luxury car standards. Um, for example, there are a lot of buttons on the uh, right underneath the infotainment system, including a giant knob which controls the the drive modes instead of you know what you think it would be the volume selectors, the volume adjustments. Yeah, I've
1: always I've had a problem with that in Acuras in the past too. It's like I understand from a styling perspective that, you know, drive modes are exciting and dynamic and interesting, and, and it relates to what you're doing, which is driving. But <laughs> from a UI standpoint, the largest knobs should be the ones you're going to use while you're driving the most often to make them easier to use so you're not distracted from, you know, driving itself. Right. So, like, making that button, which you're going to use maybe once or twice while you're driving, if that... Uh, the biggest one just seems like a strange choice. And it's one that tripped me up in every Acura I was
0: driving. And you know what? I will admit, um, because you reminded me of this because you were happy to see that the two screen setup is no longer a thing going on at at Acura. In the past, they used to have these two screens. One was for like uh, media um, and I guess HVAC and the other one was like another screen that was put on the cowl of the dashboard. And it was really, it was not an elegant um, solution. But they've gone away from that, although uh, the solution is that they've got this touch, this touchpad controlled infotainment system, which is a really sensitive touchpad, much more sensitive than what you would get in, in the Lexus um, products. So that's a highlight. But at the same time, trying to control things with a touchpad while you're in motion can be really tricky because the moment you you like let's say you hit a bump um, on the road, uh, a pothole or a, or a manhole cover or something like that. Um, you, you'll miss select you'll you'll accidentally select something you or unintentionally select something um, and then while doing trying to you know reorient yourself while engaging with the act of driving is just it, it it takes a lot of effort and i don't think that's um i don't think that's ideal for when you're driving definitely not um but it it's funny I, m- I mentioned that touchpad because the volume knob has been moved to where that – near that touchpad, the volume and the seek buttons for the media controls. And they look kind of like cast off like they're – like they, they don't know if they should be there or not. It's a very funny placement for um, the these controls. Is seek is an interesting control. Like, you know, we always <laughs> talk about – well, it, so I don't listen
1: to terrestrial radio anymore. And before before you I, add me – I, used I to...
0: love. I love that you specific. You call it out as terrestrial. That's radio. That's what it is. I think people just call it normal radio. No, no,
1: no. That's terrestrial radio. radio, man. You got to be specific. But I used to love it uh, as a it child. Like
0: you're from outer space. Terrestrial <laughs> radio.
1: As a child, I would listen to terrestrial radio all the time. I really I can't liked it. Thank I even. You seriously. I listened to AM radio from all over the, the continent. I was really into it. It's fun. Um, and I was even in radio for a long time in college and later in community radio. and then I, I moved to a major city and all the radio was just ridiculous, crappy format stuff that it just it's it's not interesting. Like there's no freeform radio died and satellite radio came along. and for a while that was good too. Now it's kind of fallen into the same format kind of, um, I guess, trap for programming content. But the reason I'm mentioning all of this is because I wonder who's seeking radio stations anymore. Because how many radio stations are there out there, first of all, in most markets? Second, how good are those stations that you're going to be going between them with the seek button? Third... If you don't know what stations are in your area, that seems unusual to me. Like it, it seems like you'd have them programmed. So I don't know who the seek I, button is you're for. Nuts.
0: You're absolutely nuts. Not the, for me, the seek button is excellent for when you're listening to podcasts, when you're driving, and you can just skip through ads, which we don't have here on the no, no, Army no, button podcast. That, that's <laughs> not what the
1: seek button is it does. The Would seek button use that. But seek is for radio, dude. Seek and skip. Skip is not Seek's. Seek, Sk- oh, seek wow. is specifically...
0: I, I call them all the same thing, Ben. Seek just...
1: It, it grabs a strong radio signal. So the whole reason I'm mentioning this is because it feels like a cassette player. Right. You know, like we talk about what was the last car to have a cassette player. It was... I mean, depending on Probably how you Alexis. count. It was the Lexus SC430, or if you count fleet sales, it was the Lincoln Town car. But it's it's that anachronistic to me. And I could be totally wrong. If you use the Seek
0: button, I want to
1: hear from you because I'm very curious.
0: Maybe I'm mistaken, because I think the Seek and the, and the Skip button are, like, n- next to each other, but... I do, might you have, do, do you have a love for terrestrial radio, Sammy? Oh, no, God, no. Okay. Um, anyways, the other thing that I mentioned was the gauge cluster, and I think that Acura has d- made a pretty bold design decision by having white-backed um, gauges with bright red uh, fonts, which is which is wild. It's very bold. It's very unique. Um, and I thought it stood out, but at the same time, it reminded me that I'm not looking at a digital gauge cluster, which is a little bit more common in this class, yeah. um, especially from Mercedes, BMW and Audi. And it just reminded me that this isn't nearly as, as high tech and as cool as those other products. However, the rest of the cabin is excellent. And it's one of the things that reminds me that, um, Honda, when they really do try, um, to, to nail the details. They do a good job. I've got these gorgeous ultra suede accents on the seats. I find the seats very comfortable and supportive. There's great stitching. None of that weird like waviness that you see in some other cars that are like that have stitched dashes or stitched um, upholstery. Do you know what I'm talking about when it looks like somebody like sneezed while stitching a car? Uh some yeah, there's, there's a
1: certain lackadaisical quality to the stitching on some vehicles. It, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like, oops, <laughs> and now we're back to our regular programming.
0: Um, and the steering wheel is nice and thick. It actually reminds me of a BMW steering wheel and that really, like, chunky. I'm glad I've got, the, like, a hold of the, the, the vehicle here. And I'm, I'm really wait, glad. Wait, wait, it you, it. you like
1: a thick steering wheel? What does it give you? What's the sensation?
0: Um, it gives you this feeling that you're behind something kind of substantial and, uh, and robust. OK, that's what I think. Um, and that really does translate well into the way the vehicle handles. And, and um, they've also made an adjustment to the front suspension. They now using double which phone um, front suspension. And I think that's pretty um, it, it signifies that they are willing to invest and engineer a solution to make a, a, more, a better handling vehicle. And as a result, the car does handle extremely smoothly. I was, I was really impressed because I thought it would just be kind of like a, a luxury barge. And as I mentioned, a longer vehicle, if it has a longer wheelbase as well, I haven't really looked into the wheelbase numbers, might end up being a better like luxury cruiser than a, sort of something that's um, agile um, and, and changes directions really well. But this ended up really uh, balancing that th- those traits um, nicely. I was really surprised at what Acura can can achieve and manage with uh, with a car that I think they really put their effort into. And I don't think that the last generation model was given this much attention to detail throughout its whole, its whole lifespan. So driving-wise? Yeah, so um, one, I do miss the V6 in this situation. Uh, well, maybe not. Maybe that's not what I'm saying. Um, I think it could be more powerful. But at the same time, what I have noticed with the TLX is that it gives you a really good sense of speed, and I think that might be because of that lower seating position that you have in the car, the car, the fact that the car is lower to the ground. It does provide a really good sense of speed, and I think enthusiasts will be really happy with the way they feel in the TLX, and I think that's a very hard uh, benchmark to clear. Um, so I, I think Accurate does get a little bit of kudos there. Um, excellent steering. Um, and, and, it's, it's pretty smooth on, uh, on smooth roads as well for the, for the highway or for, um, cruising around town as well. Do I think this will be a track car or something that you'll want to take, um, onto a circuit? Absolutely not. I don't but, think that's the case here.
1: But is it a credible performance sedan? Like if you were to get out of a BMW and get into this, would you feel a drop off in any category worth mentioning? That's just for, just from like a driving perspective, not from like a build quality or materials or anything like that.
0: That's really tough. Uh, I'll be honest that when I say that the BMWs, especially the six-cylinder BMWs, even with all-wheel drive and they've gotten pretty heavy too, um, can still feel pretty engaging to drive. But I think you and I have both said that the steering has gotten has gone downhill a tiny bit. And I think that Acura still has pretty engaging steering, pretty smooth steering, well weighted. Um, steering feel. And I think that's something that they should be proud of. It's just, what, it, what, it, what I'm trying to say is I think they've made an, a major upgrade from where the TLX and other Acuras have been in the past to where they are now. I think that means that they're, they've been paying attention and they've delivered something worthy of, uh, because in the past, I think Acura had a bit of performance chops. I think the Integra for a long, long time was heralded or, or held above others as being a really strong handling car, despite the fact that it was front wheel drive. Right? You know, yes, but that was a long time ago. That was a very long time. And some people like to hold on to those things and keep calling it uh, the Acura of yesteryear. Is, is Acura back? I don't know if that's, you know, you're, you're right. They were back. Maybe their best years were just a short period of time and the rest of it was so they're not really back. They're more like, they're they're actually back on the on the right foot here.
1: Well, we're looking uh, at a car that you know in terms of sales has dropped it has cut itself in half over the last five years. I mean, the best yeah, sales but, the best sales year for the TLX was 2015, and they sold just under fifty thousand. And then last year they sold just over twenty five thousand. You know, so like,
0: is that fair though? Like, everyone has been buying more and more um, crossovers. That's been the demand over the past five years. Yeah, I, I'm not. That, right? But what I'm saying is like. It,
1: How much of a market is there for this car? You know, especially since when you have a TLX, you have a couple flavors of TLX. If you have a 3 Series, you can buy so many different models of the 3 Series. And that's going to help them boost sales, obviously. But it also means there's more choice when you walk into the showroom. So it's it's like, you know, they sold twice as many 3 Series last year as they did TLXs. Does that matter to Acura? Because Acura's transaction prices, I'm willing to bet, are a lot lower than
0: BMWs. I think you're right. Um, And I I think it does matter to to Acura. And I think, one, the TLX... um, In fact, the whole Acura lineup over the past five years has been uh, static. I think you'll agree with me on that. The only Acura worth buying over the past five years was maybe the MDX. And then recently, the RDX kind of... um, you know, spruce things up for the, for the brand again. And now with the TLX and a new MDX coming, we've got a fresher lineup that will help bring more um, people into the showrooms. Um, I also think that, for sure, the TLX is, is – I, I truly believe that they've got um, their best people behind this product now. It is no longer sort of just uh, being pushed along or strung along. And as I mentioned, they've got an even more an exciting – uh, even more exciting vehicle coming up with a turbocharged V6 engine, which is sure to be uh, a higher performance. They've they've left an extra gap for what that next model will be.
1: Okay, no? well, I understand what you're saying. It just it's it's hard for me to see Acura's place in the ecosystem. I guess,
0: but like, okay, seriously, Lexus the sedans at Lexus. There's one very good sedan that you, that the every man will consider. I think is the ES, but it's not that performance-oriented,
1: right? No, the ES is outside the, the scope of this conversation, for sure.
0: But it, it is very good. The IS, despite the new one that has come out, um, seems like a, it, it seems like a refresh as well, that new generation model. I don't know what... I can't wait to drive it and, and be proved wrong. But the IS has been also, like, stayed on the vine a little too long. They haven't done anything special to it. Uh, and even the design, which was its highest... Um, its best feature... Just doesn't look that special anymore. And then you've got um, Infinity. When was the last great Infinity sedan? Well, I would say
1: that the um, Q50 is as good as a TLX. It's certainly power-wise, it blows it away. At, so
0: at the time, when like now,
1: why well, you Q50. you get a four hundred horsepower version of the car?
0: But you, you're lacking in so many other areas, be it steering or or interior um, like sophistication. And even the design is looking a little, well, it's getting there. I think Infiniti has a pretty strong design as well. But um, I think this TLX is for those people who look at Infiniti and say, um, no, this looks like the same thing that I could have bought back when it was called the G37. And I want something a little bit newer, a little bit fresher.
1: Okay. No, I can, I can see that.
0: Um, and who is there another automaker that we might be we might be missing in this regard? I think the biggest competitor for Acura will be um, Genesis, a lot of people who are looking for like a bargain kind of performance luxury vehicle could probably find it easily at um, at Genesis and you add in the fact that Genesis has three very fresh sedans um, that will catch people's attention uh, and look good right now.
1: Yeah. yeah. I the G80, and G90. So it's a crowded market that people just aren't that, that interested in seems to be my takeaway for what the t l x has found itself up against would would that you think that's fair
0: yeah and so they had to do something dramatic and i think they've they they i think they pulled it off okay so that's any
1: any anything else that you want to say about the t l x
0: um super handling all wheel drive you know this thing ben
1: i have heard the acronym
0: <laughs> the s h a w d is it um like there have been times when Acura did not include super handling all wheel drive in a vehicle, and I don't think it made a significant difference. And there have times when they really held it above everything else. I don't know if super handling all wheel drive is what people go to Acura for. No, no. Unless you're a, unless, a unless you're an
1: like, Acura or a Honda fanboy, exactly. Right. I don't, and and I, I'm not disparaging anyone who is. I think they're the only people who really know that. It's like. I don't think it ever achieved the same market penetration that Quattro did in terms or of pop X-Drive culture or Formatic. No, do I don't think things? anyone knows what X Drive is or Formatic. I think those things are like the SH all-wheel drive of the German set. I, I think Quattro the
0: Nissan thing, one have a really good one, Atessa or yeah, something like.
1: that? <laughs> nobody, nobody knows these things. Quattro is like an easy thing to to say. And yeah. it's an actual word, which helps, and um, it, it also ties back to the rally victories that audi had in the 80s and i think that that gives it some kind of heritage that people can latch onto. I, I don't think anyone else's all-wheel drive system has the same type of recognition in terms of name i think subaru is probably the only other company that has all-wheel drive um as like, part of yeah. their main public image
0: you know right and I, I was wondering because I think that's where Acura wants to go next. They want to really push super superhanding all-wheel drive. They want to make it available in every single uh, product that they make. Um, and they're going to push that down uh, everyone's throats. Well, you could,
1: as, yeah. you could try as hard as you want to make fetch happen, but that doesn't mean fetch is going to happen.
0: <laughs> so why don't we fetch the next uh, car or oh, wow. truck, right? What a segue. Nailed it. Swish.
1: So I, I'm i driving something that's also all new in a sense, but in another more accurate sense, it's not all new. Uh, but it's still interesting, and that's the 2021 GMC Canyon. Uh, specifically, I had the AT4 model, Sammy.
0: So you're telling me that after driving the Colorado Z- ZR2, you yes. are now driving a product with a different badge on the front end?
1: Not Yes and no. So okay. the, as you point out, the Canyon is the platform mate of the Colorado. Almost everything about the trucks is identical in terms of drivetrain. So you get the four-cylinder, you get the diesel, you can get the V6, all the stuff we talked about the ZR2. Uh, The differences are styling, as you mentioned. They're not huge, but they're there. Inside the truck, things look pretty different. Um, I noticed that the dash that I had on the Colorado versus the one I had on the ZR2, it's it's a different feel. Things are arranged differently. Gages have a different look. So it's not just kind of a... You know, Photoshop the GMC logo onto the onto the Colorado, and and it's the end of the day uh, for 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 the designers. But what's more interesting about the truck, I'm not going to go into super detail about the platform because we talked a lot a lot about it recently when we were talking about the Colorado. Mm-hmm. The AT4 though is something that's all new for 2021. And we had talked about how these days you need something more than just an off-road package to sell your trucks. You need to have a special model, which is why the ZR2 exists, why the TRD Pro exists, and why the Raptor exists. So right. GMC is not necessarily looking to take a bite out of Chevrolet's Apple, right? Right. Because you know they, they they all these ZR2 buyers they don't want to compete for them specifically, but they do want to have something that's more exciting than a standard off-road package. So they came up with AT4, and AT4 is something that's kind of making its way across the whole brand. I think you can even get like an AT4 Traverse, uh, which seems uh, a little KDF, strange. I think.
0: I'm sorry. Versus a Chevrolet, so I think you're talking of a, of a GMC product, like a Terrain or an Acadia. Right? Oh yeah,
1: Acadia. Sorry, I'm wrong. Yeah, I think you can get an, an, as, uh, an AT4 version of that. You can get an AT4 version of the new Yukon. Um, whoa, and what whoa. it what it kind of amounts to is it's more of an appearance package than a hardcore off road package than you would expect. So you're oh. getting well, you're getting a locking rear differential at the back, which is great. You nice. get 31 inch that's tires, good. Duratrax. Those are pretty good. Nice. Um, it comes with uh, hill descent control. It gets a new uh, suspension system that's <clears throat> more hardcore, designed for trail driving. Uh, you get skid plates. Um, you have to pick the V6, so you can't get a four cylinder version of the AT4. Okay. And you get uh, you get a whole bunch of like there's like uh, red tow hooks. There's AT4. Um, stitching on the inside on the seats. You can get the diesel if you want. Sorry, it's, you don't have okay. to get the V6, but the V6 is standard. I should say.
0: Okay. So, anyway, so hold on, hold on. Let like let's go through this. Yeah. These seem like pretty standard features of any off-road oriented vehicle. Skid plates. What? Like, wow, you really blow me around, blew me away with that. And if I remember, like these red tow hooks are are, are we've seen these on Trailhawk, like Jeeps, right? So are they just taking the best and favorite, like Aspect of of other um off-road packages and just they're like look we've got it we call it the at4 this is what we've done like what are they doing that's different what are they doing that's special uh, and what's going to make them stand well, out
1: the the idea is it's an off-road version of the canyon they're not trying to be another jeep they're just trying yeah. to offer you a more aggressively off-road looking version of the call of, of the canyon pickup like it's I'm not, not a hardcore I'm not off-road I'm not well, <laughs> it's only a thousand dollars
0: more, Sammy. <laughs> I don't know what you're then, expecting. Then the regular Canyon or the Th- Z- then R- a regular the-
1: Canyon four wheel drive. Yeah, the AT4. Oh, okay, it's not like a. It's not a special model. It's it's a sub special model. So they, they're not trying to take candy out of Chevrolet's mouth, and they're not trying to steal away ZR2 buyers.
0: Okay, a thousand bucks sounds like i you, you've you've brought me back on board now i like it this. is it is pretty reasonable
1: and it's you know it looks decent i the truck I had was was white uh these days when I get into a white small truck, I start to feel like I'm a contractor you yeah. know like it's kind of a generic look. I think maybe if it was a color, it would it would come off a little better. The tuning in the suspension too, it's different. I mean, it is bouncier. I did notice a difference between this and the ZR2 just in everyday driving. The the AT4 felt a little rougher because it doesn't have the DSSV that the that okay. the uh, uh, Colorado had. Sorry, they can I was so Colorado I wanted yet.
0: to make sure that um, we were clear that it didn't have DSSV dampers, which is what made the ZR2 Colorado so special, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that you might not be able to get any other off-road package uh, with the – I haven't – tried. so here's the thing. When you build pickup trucks online, there are so many different ways to build trucks. So I'm not sure whether you can get like the standard base canyon, which is called the elevation. You Mm -hmm. might be able to add an off-road package to that. I'm going to try right now. Um, and just to okay. see – oh, it, it, so they have something called the Performance Skid Plate Package, which is $375. You get them front and in the middle, so that kind of protects your transfer case nice. um, and as well as the engine. But I'm not seeing anything specific to off-road. They have a, a sport bar and lighting package, which gives you the same off-road lights that I had on the ZR2. But there's nothing that's specifically going to grab me that locking rear differential that's going to get me the extra suspension. So you can think of this – as kind of like the GMC equivalent of Z71, but a little bit more dressed up.
0: Okay. Um, I'm glad to hear that. My most, the most important thing to talk about with these two trucks, the, the Colorado and the Canyon, is the interior. And that's one of the things that I found that, the, that was the most disappointing about the Colorado. And I figured it was because they wanted to have some space to grow and make something a little bit more premium with the Canyon offering. Is is that what they've done here? Is it a be- much better interior, and is, does that make make up for the truck? For not in the AT, the
1: not in the AT4, but there is a Denali version of the Canyon that I have not driven. Okay, so the Denali would, in theory, give you the much nicer interior. I mean, if you look at the spec sheet, the the, the Denali it steps up to twenty inch rims. So you're already you're going from seventeen with off road tires to like a twenty inch more of a street truck. It gets, you have wood trim on the inside, heated and in cold seats, different leather, different stitching, all that stuff. So there's a chance that it's gonna be better. In the past, I found that GMC's Denali um, for the pickup trucks, specifically Sierra. It only really kind of matched, like, a mid-trim on something like a Ram. Mm -hmm. So I never found... I found Denali has fallen off, unfortunately. In the Yukon, it's not like that. I found that the most recent Yukon, which we talked about on a previous podcast, it it is a very nice interior. But the trucks, for whatever reason... Ram doesn't make an SUV in the class of the Denali. (laughs) So the Denali gets to avoid that direct comparison. But we're in the pickups... Sorry, when you're in the pickups, it's harder to do that. Uh, I like the Colorado and Canyon interiors versus say Toyota or Ford. I find it's more modern looking than the Ford and less rough than the Toyota. I don't have a, as big a problem with it as you do. Okay.
0: Um, anything else you want to add about this truck before we head on to our last segment of the podcast?
1: Yeah, one thing I would like to say, and oh, I might have go. said I might have said this on the ZR when talking about the ZR2, but having the chance to drive these trucks back to back, which I did. It really shows me that this is the right size pickup for me. Uh, right. It's It was definitely easier to park, definitely easier to get through traffic in. It felt like I only I had the short box, which was useful, but not as useful as it could have been. But I can get a longer box if I want to. I personally would love a two-door version of the Colorado or the Canyon with a long box. I think that would be a great form factor for a pickup. If I was buying a pickup truck, it would be this size, a modern pickup truck.
0: I love that. But it also speaks to where you drive most often. And you are a little bit less um, rural or suburban than other um, drivers. Well,
1: so I'm 100% non-rural and suburban. Right. I live in the heart of, a, of a, the, the second biggest city in this country. But I also have a Jeep that's about the same size as this Canyon. And, and i feel like that's really for me i might be over big trucks like i just don't see the need for a, a very large truck when a, a regular sized truck will do almost everything i needed to do
0: i love this cuz we talked about the, we've talked about the gladiator feeling like a big truck the 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 new jeep gladiator feeling like with a its big it's massive truck. wheelbase and it's yeah. terrible highway manners but technically i think it's meant to compete with products like the canyon in colorado I I think that, like, maybe in a product
1: meeting at an executive, like, boardroom, maybe it's intended to do that. But in the real world, I think the Gladiator is only intended to sell to Jeep buyers. Yeah. I I don't think there's a lot of conquest going on. I think it was a vehicle that was designed to tap into a huge amount of
0: existing demand. That's interesting. But I was just saying that there is a definite feel to the, um, the Gladiator where it feels out of place in, in remotely or like tighter, tighter or bigger cities. And the canyon in Colorado, I don't think I feel like that no i think the ranger actually can manage that small that big city kind of um driving situation as well. sure
1: but the 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 driving experience in the ranger we talked about you know transmission and 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 it's unrefined yeah and the the interior is is clearly five years older than it needs to be so it's it's all stuff like that kind of takes it out of the conversation but size-wise sure it's great it's 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 the right size too
0: Um, Okay, so let's move on to the next um, thing we can talk about today is a story that you recently wrote for a publication called EV Pulse. And EV Pulse is a really cool place to go. It's um, a new electric vehicle oriented website by our friend uh, Chad Kirchner, who you've heard on the podcast before. So we really like the design. First of all, sorry, I'll speak for myself here. I like the design of the site. Uh, it's covered with great. Uh, it's it's full of great information on EVs. But you specifically have covered some cool sci-fi EVs that um, we wish we could drive. So why well, don't we go through this list? Well, Ch- Chad
1: had asked me to kind of talk about you know futuristic stuff, uh, electric vehicles from science fiction that. You know there's always those those TV shows, sorry, right, TV shows. There's always those movies like Gattaca or um, In Time that took like classic cars and put electric engines in them and that was a cheap way to just show that you're in the future. It was like here's a car from the 60s but uh, plot twist, it's not a muscle car anymore. It has an electric engine. So I, I wanted to avoid that kind of thing. And I was I was more curious about the stuff that was meant to look like it was futuristic. And almost always when you see a car that kind of looks super wind tunnel-y and uh, has all these arcs and curves and fantastic features, it's it's electric. Like they, they're, they're very rarely internal combustion. So um, that leaves you with, with choices like, uh, you know, <laughs> some of these cars I hadn't thought about in a long time. Sammy, do you remember the movie iRobot?
0: Uh, I can't forget the movie iRobot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so there was a, that was Will Smith's. It was it was what year two thousand and four, I think, and uh, it was supposed to be a big blockbuster. It it cost a lot of money to make, and Audi wanted to get involved, so they they built something called the RSQ, which was an electric car that was semi autonomous, uh, but Will Smith was also able to drive it. Um, there's a big scene in the movie where a whole bunch of robots try to kill him while he's driving it. These, like, giant robot carriers, I guess. And the thing about that scene is it stands out now for how bad the CGI is. Like, the robots look terrible. And it's just a very unbelievable scenario. It's almost like you're in a bad video game where waves of robots are coming at you. But uh, the interesting thing about the RSQ was obviously it wasn't real. They did build it, but it wasn't, you know... Our fully functional electric car, as it is in the film, but it did show us kind of what the R8 was going to look like. It had the big grill, it had the the curve in the um, the greenhouse. It didn't. The R8 obviously didn't have rear-opening butterfly doors, but it was a chance for Audi to kind of get their design language in front of you know millions of people who are going to go see Will Smith get beat up by androids.
0: Right. That's your. Fa- that's our favorite thing to. That's to watch
1: in two thousand four. That's really all I wanted out of a movie. <laughs>
0: You're so mean. <laughs> um, I think it's cool. It, it Also, you see a lot of that design uh, in it that was translated into further Audi vehicles, you know? Like, it doesn't look so far off from an R8. Uh, it really doesn't. And the R8 and came think,
1: out three or four years later, I think.
0: Yeah. I think this was kind of like a, an opportunity to test the waters, right? And I think that helped. That really did stand out. What else? What else do we have on the list?
1: Well, there's 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 some stuff that that goes farther back than that. Still, Sylvester Stallone was in a couple of futuristic movies in the '90s, and both yeah. of those movies had really interesting electric cars. Um, the first one was Demolition Man, where uh, it, it was a unique instance of corporate synergy where General Motors they built this car called the Ultralight, and okay. it was this bubble glass thing uh, with giant like. It was kind of like a Tesla Model X with the doors, except it covered the whole side of the car. So they would pop up. People in the front, people in the back would get out of the same door. But uh, they were like, how are we going to promote this ultralight? The ultralight was really light, too. I think it weighed like a thousand pounds, maybe less. And um, in the real world, it was powered by, um, I think it was a hybrid drivetrain. Or a very very frugal gas gas engine, but in Demolition Man, they used it as the police cruisers in a in San Angeles in the future, and it, they were all electric, and uh, they were they were the perfect choice. It looks exactly like what you would expect a futuristic car would look like if you were in the '90s. And the cool thing about the Ultralight is it became the EV One. A few years later, it, it, yeah. what, what they'd learned from the ultralight in terms of chassis design, because the car was made mostly of carbon fiber, I believe, um, and uh, aerodynamics, they were able to channel into the EV1. So there was that. Uh, the first part of the double st- lo- double Stallone punch. The mm-hmm. second part is a much different car that came out, I think, just a couple years later in Judge Dredd, which is a horrible movie that you should never watch. but uh, Land Rover got involved building these cabs. They were like city cabs for, because in the Judge Dredd world, there's only one city left in the world, Mega City One, and it's super dangerous. And so Land Rover built these, a designer at Land Rover was tagged in to build these giant armored cabs, like just yellow, black and white, like you'd see in New York. Uh, And they used a chassis that was from uh, Land Rover, forward control truck which is like kind of a you sit over the engine kind of deal they're from the 70s they were built just for the military and the look of them is just a super chunky plastic with these giant plastic wheels and they actually built a whole bunch of them and uh, those those trucks they survived after the movie they kind of just forgot they existed and like people i think in, a lot of them ended up in england and people would just find them in barns or like on car lots and there was a, a company called vibe that was doing these i guess back in the 90s if you don't remember i'm gonna tell you there are uh, stereo competitions were a big thing sammy okay you, you would like get cars together in a parking lot and you would battle out stereo stuff like because you had the world's largest loudest stereo so okay. this company called vibe bought one of these props from Judge Dredd and built a stereo demonstration truck out of it and it's wild because like every surface that all the panels and stuff that opened up that were supposed to be armored and and exciting and like lethal they just had speakers in them and like subwoofers and then they would just point that at people in a crowd and deafen them all
0: (laughs) that sounds insane yeah Um, and and that was an electric vehicle in the movie I'm I really do like to look at the um the the way that that ultralight the GM ultralight ultralight in um, in Demolition Man it it I, the first thing I look at when I see it is like that's an EV that's essentially an EV one like it can't be much that and I'm so glad that you brought up that just a few years later they they took that and made it the EV one I think that's really cool um, and, and I think it's you know people don't really think about GM's concept cars from the
1: 90s as being this kind of future looking. Uh, in terms of looking forward to technologies that were nowhere near being ready for prime time. But GM was building stuff that was really, their their reach was ex- was far extending their grasp from a retail perspective. I mean, a lot, there's nothing really that advanced about early 90s GM cars. But they were thinking about building advanced cars. Why they didn't, I mean, obviously, it's a function of the market. But it's it's fascinating to see that the brain trust was there to create these kinds of things.
0: Um, I, I want to point out some of the other ones that are in this um, list. You've got a couple of um, models from Blade Runner, which I think is, uh, is pretty cool because it's a very old um, – well, there was an older movie, and now there's the 2049. And it's a really cool-looking um, vehicle. The Spinner, I believe, is what it's known as, the yeah. main vehicle. And then they've got this um, – I think it's a, it's a police car – Which is another uh, really uh, rad looking car. I think it reminds me of sort of like video games from the 80s and what we thought um, the futuristic vehicles will look like. Like all windows and like it's so cool. And there's a lot of the difference
1: between the cars we were just talking about and the spinners from Blade Runner. Even this, even in the second movie, is there's a lot of ad hoc technology kind of going on. Like mm-hmm. they were both, they were designed by the, the the spinners and the sedan were designed by someone called Sid Mead, who had a, a big hand in a lot of um, vehicle design and prop design in science fiction in the 70s and 80s. And if you look at the spinner. It, it's kind of like there's tubes and wires and fans and stuff all over, kind of just stuck onto the fuselage of the vehicle. And they're not aerodynamic at all. They're, they're vertical takeoff and landing. They're chunky. Um, it's, it's such a different aesthetic. And it fits into the world of Blade Runner, which was kind of a world that had fallen apart. And even if you look at 2049, the vehicle is somewhat more streamlined, but there's nothing... There's nothing really glamorous about it. It kind of feels like it was carved out, of, carved out of a hunk of metal and then you know shoved down an assembly line and then, and then the police drive it around. It's really not – it's not like the kind of vehicle that's exciting or sexy at all. So it's a different look at what the electric future could be. And, and another vehicle that reminds me of that too is from the movie Aliens. Where okay. they had a they had a giant armored personnel carrier, the M five seven seven, and uh, it, it doesn't fare so well in the movie. It gets no. up. it gets beaten up by a bunch of aliens, which is you know what happens. But uh, there's because there were so many video games and comic books and uh, other books written about the the aliens universe, we have a whole bunch of information about it. And it, it was an electric engine. It had two giant batteries. And had a turbine to power the battery. So it was never turbine-driven in terms of its drivetrain. It was just used to recharge the batteries. Um, in real life, though, it was a 72-ton tug that was used at airports to, to tow around jets. Oh, yeah. I can see that. And it was so heavy, they had to take, like, 50 tons of ballast just out of the vehicle so that it wouldn't fall through the floor of the electric <laughs> station where they filmed most of aliens in England. Wild. Yeah. And it's, 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 it was made by a company called um, Hunslet. So okay. it's, it, you can actually see, if you look at the original Hunslet tug, it's kind of just like a metal wedge. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's really huge. And the Aliens guys, they bought it and they stuck all these weapons onto it. So it's, it's kind of neat though, because it's, it's a different, again, the military doesn't really care about form so much as they do function. And it's similar to the Blade Runner Sid Mead design vehicles.
0: It's very funny. You, you end up, like, looking for a Hunslet tug, and you end up getting a lot of the AT, uh, ATT-77. Um, uh, that's what it's called, right? Oh, sorry, the M, M577. Yeah. So the other vehicle that you have is one that I think really um, it stands out is the Tron light cycles, which is the coolest <laughs> thing ever. I love these things. I mean, when I saw this, I was like, I want to drive motorcycles. I want to drive a Tron. Like, light cycle. And I think these are the coolest things. And even the latest one, Tron Legacy, um had these really neat um light cycles.
1: Well, the weird thing about the light cycles, though, is, like, when I was a kid, I didn't really understand Tron. Like, I think I saw it... Oh, man, no one understands Tron. Come it, on and, now. And, and like, the, they could only turn, like, 90 degrees or something. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't understand that. And I didn't understand why they were doing all this stuff anyway. Like, I, I think... So, Tron came out in 82. I was two years old. So, that means that when... Um, when I would have seen Tron probably would have been like mid to late eighties. So by then video games had advanced, let's say (laughs) like Nintendo was a thing. So you weren't necessarily looking at the same type of graphics that were so mind blowing in 1982. So when I saw like the way that those cycles moved around, it seemed so clunky, I guess is the word I would use. Whereas at the time, I'm sure it was exciting. I mean, you were what, 10 years old, 20 years old in 1982?
0: Uh, I was not born yet. Sorry. Okay. Well, <laughs> Sorry to make you feel uh, a little a little older. There.
1: I feel fantastic, Sammy. Okay, and, good. And I just want to say that you can never make someone else feel anything. Oh, good. that's Enough. that's always like that's always someone else's feelings. There's one res- more. You're not responsible for how someone else
0: feels. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's one more uh, vehicle on this list, which is the Minority Report vehicle. It's Lexus twenty fifty four which i i think that is a reference to the um proposed time frame of this vi- of this movie right yeah i think so okay which is totally it's such a weird looking car with a different like uh cockpit and and um it seems like a cab forward sort of design right
1: well it does, it reminds me of a chrysler concept an earlier okay. chrysler concept called the ME412 do you remember that car yeah i remember
0: this this is this is so cool. So is it really you... that old? Oh my god! I'm gonna feel <laughs> really ancient now.
1: I mean... Well, it came out in 2004, so it's it's actually right around the same time.
0: Oh, weird. Yeah, I wonder if the two if they were like competing for the same movie contract. If
1: they were besties. So like, uh, <laughs> it, this 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 the Lexus car came out two years or two years before, and mm-hmm. then the the Chrysler came out just after. Um, so right around the same era of design. And it's got that kind of, the reason I say they remind me of each other is because it has that windswept front cab over where it's like, right. you know, like there's a big bulge in the front, but it doesn't look bulky so much as like you have some 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 muscular wheel wells, but like the main part of the car, I'm doing this thing with my hands right now that no one can see.
0: But Yeah, I wish I, wish I knew what you were doing. Right the main now. part Again. of the
1: car, it's like, a, it's like an ellipsis almost. Uh, and it, it's very of that era. And, it, it, you know, I struggle to look at this car and figure out where it fit into the world of Lexus styling afterwards. Can you think of another car that looked anything like this?
0: No, absolutely not. Uh, not even close. It, maybe you can see a little bit of the bubbliness that is found in the SC430, but that would be generous to say. Um, I do also love... The design of this and the the me four twelve that Chrysler that you were mentioning couldn't quite pull off that windswept design because I think it still uses a a internal combustion motor and these cars these vehicles that you're talking about are all EVs and EVs are really. Um, fortunate because I think an electric motor can be a, can be placed a little bit easier um, on a vehicle and can allow for some really creative designs. Although that a pillar on these uh, on these Lexes seems like you would just crash into everything. <laughs> you know, and
1: I, I don't have the details on the 2054 in terms of like in real life if it could actually move around on its own. Right, that would be a good question to know. It, it's weird in the movie too because. The movie's a little strange in how it... Not strange, but the the movie's very specific in terms of how it portrays personal transportation. It was kind of like an autonomous grid of vehicles that were just moving... It was very complex... Uh, humans weren't in control and um, Tom Cruise of course messes all that up and the the 2054 kind of shows up in a, a chase escape scene but it's not a huge part of the movie so it was a way I think for Lexus to get involved with Steven Spielberg who was a Lexus fan and for them to do a fun design exercise but it doesn't really move the needle as much as the other vehicles in terms of how relevant it was to the plot but it is interesting to look at.
0: Um, I want to bring up a couple of follow-up vehicles that um, I think are pretty cool, too. And I don't know if they still count because one of them is a an animated movie. And this is from uh, a movie called Spies in Disguise with Will Smith. This is the second time he's being mentioned in this um, list. Here. That is also the Audi. It is also an Audi. And it's, an, it's called the RSQ as well, but it's an, it, has, it takes the e-tron name that uh, is recently um, associated to their electric vehicles, and I think this looks really cool. I think this looks a little bit, even though, yeah, totally, it's totally fake. It doesn't even need to be based in reality as a animated vehicle. Uh, I love it. It's so cool, right? Yeah, it's um, it's
1: it's definitely it's definitely an an interesting take because you know when you do an animated car, you don't have you're not restrained by anything. You can make it look ridiculous, yeah. and but to make a car that looks like it's at least plausible, I think is an impressive thing to do with animation.
0: And then there's another vehicle that I think isn't quite an easy, I think it's more of a hybrid, which is the Jaguar CX-75, which was in James Bond, I think it's Inspector, I think that's yeah. the movie it's in. Yeah, hybrid, uh, it,
1: hybrid doesn't count, man, I mean, okay. come on.
0: All right. uh, and then finally, this is something that just came out, and the movie that it's based on does, hasn't even come out yet, it's uh, Mercedes-Benz Vision um avatar i think it's called or avtr which is this really weird transforming vehicle that will be found in the next uh, avatar movie Uh, and i think it's important to bring that up because i love seeing how much effort uh automakers spend making these really completely made up movie cars and in fact there is another one in i think one of the justice league movies i think bruce wayne has a mercedes benz vision concept that uh, is all electric as well um, and I think it's it's just fun to see them trying to to be on the big screen and connecting to uh, potential. I don't know. I don't I don't think they're car buyers, but like they want to express their brand in new ways than just on the road, right? Like they want to be on the silver screen or the big screen. Okay, uh, I was always thinking my favorite like sci-fi vehicle, non EV though, is the Warthog from Halo, which is this badass like uh suv or truck. do you know that it's not an ev uh I, it uses uh i think they u- it uses hydrogen injection or something like that the hydrogen so,
1: injection that sounds fancy
0: it, it's completely made up uh, another reason you you get these sci-fi things were you know animated and therefore are not based don't need to be based in anything anything else you want to add ben
1: no i think i've exhausted my uh my evs uh it's there's a lot of bad EVs out there. Well, not a lot, but I mean, you get you get into the 80s and there's a, there's a lot of derivative sci-fi with weird EVs. Like there's this movie called um, – oh, I can't even remember what it's called. It was uh, – no, it's that one they did a How Did This Get Made episode on. I actually went to a, a, li- a live taping of that. My that friend, episode do you
0: have a how did this how many episodes of how did this get made are there you can 't just you can 't just call they made a how did this get made well in,
1: in any case the, the 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 crux of the film was this is like this this rogue army that has all of these bikes like motorcycles and uh, tanks. And other vehicles and they live in a desert and, and they're all electric and they all, some of them can fly. And it's like, you get into the world of stuff like that where like Hollywood prop masters just didn't care anymore. They were like, let's stick some cardboard wings onto this, you know, Ducati and and, and hope the audience <laughs> doesn't notice. That's where, that's where I had to draw the line.
0: Um I love it. It's great. I I think the movies and video games are a great opportunities to see these expressions um come to fruition, um and, and even get to see them doing things. It's not just like a showpiece, like a concept car that can just stay static. So if so you want to, if,
1: if 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 you want to, yeah, I'm right talk, there, Ben. I was gonna say if if you want to talk to us about what your favorite um sci-fi cars are, or you know about anything else, or what's on your mind, or uh, if you want to talk to Sammy about Sammy's feelings and how he's making you feel you can get in touch with us in a bunch of ways um the easiest way is to just go to www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com there's a form you can fill out there and you click send and it ends up in our inbox uh you can also find us on social media sammy is on twitter at sammy underscore ha like you're laughing you can find me at instagram on instagram at hunting benjamin and sammy if people wanted to find past episodes or listen to future episodes um, if they just stumbled across this by accident how can they do that
0: I mean, it's very easy to go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and see all of our past episodes as well as links to stories that we've written um, relating to the cars that we were talking about. Um, and you can also subscribe to us very easily that way. Or you can just go to wherever podcasts are normally found. You just type in unnamed automotive podcast, and bam, we show up. It's great.
1: And uh, Sammy, what are you going to be driving next week?
0: Next week, I'm going to be driving the brand new 2021 Nissan Rogue, which is pretty impressive because the Rogue has been uh, kind of dated for a while, and this is all new in every single way.
1: I will be driving the also 2021, I think, Cadillac CT5 V.
0: Oh, cool! All right, great. Uh, I t- I talked about that a little while ago, but uh, you I know, but a- I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta follow in your footsteps. But it also means a little bit more as somebody who owns a Cadillac, you might be able to, you might be able to discuss this vehicle with, with a little bit more depth. So
1: until next week, thank you everyone for listening.
0: See you.